I've got three readings today. And the first one is Exodus chapter 5, 1 to 16, and uh, follow it however you like. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take me that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, blue and purple and scarlet yarns. And f- fine twin linen goat's hair. Tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps. Spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. Onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. They shall make me an ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and outside you shall overlay it, and you shall, you shall make it on a moulding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the poles into rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. And then we've got chapter 26, verse 26 to 34. Verse 26. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of of the one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. The middle bar halfway up the frame shall run from end to end. You shall overlay the frames with gold and shall make the rings of gold for holders for the bars. And you shall overlay the bars with gold. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twin linen. It shall be made with the cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. You shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And then finally, uh, chapter 29, verse 42 to 46. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you, to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it, be, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel, and, I, and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord. I am the Lord, their God. This is the word of the Lord. Um, but yeah, if last week we were talking about contracts, this week um, it's very much about camping, which is a bit different. 
Um, but uh, camping's quite divisive, I think. Uh, you kind of love it or you hate it. Um, hands up, those of you who like camping. That's, that's pretty good numbers, actually. I was really interested to see that. Okay, hands up if you really don't like camping. Yeah, okay. Well, it's pretty much like that in my household. My wife really doesn't like camping, but I'm trying to win around. Uh, just bought another tent, actually, the other day. Um, but I uh, love a bit of camping myself. In fact, this is a picture of me camping. Uh, this is my trusty green tent, which has just been usurped. And uh, this is me camping at my best friend's house. He used to have these massive parties. Um, and his house, I mean, you could see, he's put a marquee on the back of his house. That's how big this party was. And he would fill his house with people, so there was nowhere to sleep in it. So um, I just pitched a tent in his garden. It was great to be with him. It's got its benefits, to be honest with you. Um, you don't have to do a wild wee. You can go and use a downstairs toilet, so that's quite handy. Um, Camping, that was uh, back before I had um, children, so now camping looks a little bit more like this, which is uh, me camping with my son Freddie, who you saw on the video earlier on, the Mother's Day video, yeah, and uh, this is his first camping experience, and I took him again into a garden, I promise I do camp in places other than just gardens, uh, but yeah, this, uh, we're camping in the garden, because it's a good place to be when you camp with your child for the first time, because you are very near the house in case of emergencies or meltdowns or what have you. Um, so yeah, it gave him a bit of an experience of camping. Um, but yeah, why, thanks guys, um, why is this passage um, today about camping? What's going on here? Well, just to remind us where we are, Moses is at the top of the mountain, and he was about to receive the law. And if you remember, the law um, was going to be, they were going to obey the law in natural response to being saved by God. And if I read you from just before this section, which is 25 to 31, this is 24 verse 12. The law said to Moses, come up uh, to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So you get this picture of Moses is there waiting for these tablets of stone. Um, and it is not until, wait for it, um, verse 31, uh, sorry, chapter 31, verse 18, and he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking to him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written by the finger of God. So we have seven chapters here on building a tent before poor Moses has actually passed these tablets of stone. Um, so, so why? <laughs> why is that? Well, I mean, Clearly, we have a lot of campers in the room, so I guess you guys are familiar with the fact that it is not exactly easy to build a tent. So you might think it makes sense to have seven chapters on how to build one, because if ever you have built a tent, you need the instructions on exactly where to put the poles and what to do and all that sort of thing. Um, as I say, I was buying a tent, and uh, there's these YouTube videos of a couple building the tent. I mean, they're not even arguing while they're building it, so it's clearly not real life. And, uh, and, and they build it in 10 minutes. Of course, we haven't seen the 200 times that they practiced before that. Actually, building a tent is probably a little bit more like this. You can see there, he's thinking hard about which pole goes in where. Yeah. I think we've all been there, haven't we? Um, so, yeah. But actually, it might surprise you then to know that... Um, you couldn't. If I gave you all of the, the stuff that you need in here, the acacia wood, the gold, uh, the fine twined linens, um, the bronze, you wouldn't actually be able to go into the car park and build a life-size tabernacle because there are, well, you could, but it'd probably fall down. There are some kind of omissions from this description that don't quite allow you to finish the project. For example, it doesn't talk about how to support the roof, which those of you who've camped in the middle of the night in a storm and haven't put your guy ropes up will know it's quite important to have a supported roof. So, yeah, not necessarily what is happening here in this passage. So what is going on here? Well, um, if I read you uh, chapter 25, verse 8 and 9, which Silas read to us, 
Um, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. A sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So they are going to build this tent so that God can come down from the mountain to dwell in their midst. So I think it's probably about time for us to remind ourselves of the objects and where we are in the story of Exodus. Now, I haven't been here every week, so I'm going to need you guys to help me out with this one. And I heard you shouting out in the audio last week, so I know that you know what you're talking about. So the chains... Slavery. <laughs> Too much of a pregnant pause, guys. <laughs> I was panicking then. Um, what's next? The, um, oh, the bush. The burning bush. And it's got a... Um, ow. <laughs> it bit me. Grief, no wonder Moses was told not to go anywhere near it. There you go. <clears throat> Brilliant. Um, okay, then uh, the staff. The plagues, yep, fantastic. And then we've got uh, the lamb, Passover lamb, brilliant. And then, um, oh, I think it's here. Love this. The water. What's that? Yes, the Red Sea, brilliant. So the rescue. And then, um, oh yeah, and then the bread. The manna, fantastic. I think we decided that is actually real, that bread. And then the mountain. Mount Sinai, thank you. I heard someone say Mount Sinai there. And then finally, Rob showed us last week this scroll. Contract. Thank you, Matt. Well done. Yeah, the contract. So this is where we are now. Um, Moses up the mountain. God's up the mountain. And we've just been given the contract. Um, so, yeah, why then all this detail on, on building a tabernacle? God clearly wants to come down from this mountain into the tent, um, but why doesn't it just say that? Well, I think it's about time we got the um, obligatory picture of a tabernacle up on the screen. Uh, there we go. And I've even got the obligatory laser pointer as well. <laughs> well I promise you it's not as boring as it sounds. Um, so uh, this is the tent in position. You can see it there, like in the center of the camp. So it just gives you an idea. I like that picture for that. Um, and then, next slide, please. Oh, I've been looking forward to saying that for so long. <laughs> this, is the, uh, this is the tabernacle in cross-section. Um, and the reason I wanted to show you that is because, okay, yeah, we have a lot of description here, but from um, chapter 25, where we are all the way through to the end of chapter 27, we get a lot of description of what's going on here. But actually, you can, you can um, kind of map what's happening from it. This is going to be um, our object now. I think I'm allowed to put that there. Uh, This is the Ark of the Covenant, which is what the description starts with. And I didn't make this myself. This is Caroline West's handiwork. Um, Copyright, obviously, of the Almighty Father. And uh, we've got, it's basically a gold box, which the um, the tablets, the testimony tablets, go in. And then you have this lid, which is very important. It's the atonement seat. And then some cherubim on the top. Um, And God sits just here on the top of the cherubim. So it's like his throne and also the place that the law goes. And that's kind of how the description starts. And then what happens is um, it, it, there's a lot of description of gold and silver in here. This is the most holy place. And then uh, the description comes out here to the holy place. And there's a lot of uh, symbolic description in there as well. Um, and then it sort of describes 
Um, this is the courtyard. So what we get is this feeling of God coming from the middle of the tabernacle, coming out to meet his people. And um, the, the gold and the silver in the middle becomes bronze, so it's like kind of going from this really special place as God's coming out to meet his people. So he's not just coming down from the mountain into the middle of the camp, he's also coming to, to meet his people. Um, so he's, he's there at the heart of his camp. You may remember um, last week Rob was talking to us about this kind of sapphire patio that they had. And there was, um, they, they were all gathered there, the elders, with God on the mountain. And it seemed like this amazing picture. And Rob said to us, like, why didn't the Bible end there? Well, this is the next step for God coming down into the heart of the camp and then coming to meet his people. Um, but it does kind of make you think, well, why, why does God even need to build a tent? You know, why couldn't he just do that? as he was, just come down, sit there in the middle of the camp. Well, um, what happens then is, from chapter 28 through to the end of 31, the, the description flips, and we start to get a bit of a picture why. And it starts talking about um, Aaron, who is Moses' brother, and his sons and their priesthood. And we get a lot of description about them, and uh, in particular, starting with even what they're wearing. And the description starts sort of out here with, yeah, what the, with their clothes. We get about like a chapter and a half on that. And then, um, and then to where, here where they're sacrificing and then washing here and then eventually coming into the, the, inner, the inner place here, the holy place, where they have other duties to perform. Um, and we, so then we get this picture of them coming in to meet God. So it's like God's coming out to meet them and then they're going in to meet God. And so it seems like a lot of description, but actually it's really cool. And we get this, this real idea of the purpose that God has behind it. Um, so if I read you chapter 29, verse 43, this, uh, this puts this nicely. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron and all his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell with them. I am the Lord their God. So of course, yes, God doesn't need a tent at all. The tent is there for them. The tent is for the people, and it shapes their worship as they, they do this every day, accessing that holy place by, their great, by God's grace through the atonement sacrifices and all the symbolism around it. So again, it makes you kind of ask that question, well, why doesn't the Bible end there? This sounds pretty good. Um, it sounds like a good arrangement. Well, um, chapter 26, verse 31 and 33 can help us out with that, which Silas read to us. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linens. And it shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked onto it. This is, my laser pen is dying, but this is that bit there. Um, and you shall hang it on the four pillars of acacia wood with gold, with hooks of gold and four, and four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the class and bring in the ark of the testimony in behind the veil. And the veil shall separate you from the ark from the most holy place. So we still have this issue of access. And there's a lot of symbolism around, um, around this, uh, particularly around this area here. There's a lot of Eden symbolism. And in fact, the, the cherubim on the front of the curtain, the veil, are symbolic of the cherubim that were put on the entrance to Eden when, uh, when Adam and Eve left the garden. And in fact, the tabernacle faced eastward as Eden did. So we get this image of God is trying to, um, to, to go back to how things were with Eden, try and get a rest and dwell with his people again. But we have this issue of access. So we need a better priesthood 
and we need a better priest. And, um, and of course, uh, that's what happens next, as we know. So thank you, guys. You can, you can lose the picture of the tabernacle. Because um, it may not have escaped your attention, guys, but Rob doesn't every Sunday go up the fire escape, out into the car park, into a massive tent, and offer sacrifices on our behalf. Um, we clearly don't need a tabernacle anymore. Um, and that's because God made another tabernacle with the help of a woman called Mary. And, and that, of course, was Jesus. And Jesus was, he was all of that symbolism, really. He was the ultimate tabernacle, God dwelling among us. But he was also, um, he was also the perfect priesthood. He was also the sacrifice as well. And he gave us access through the veil. He was even the veil. You may remember um, in, the, in the gospel accounts when he dies, and the, the curtain is torn down the middle because we now have access to the holy place. So that's what's achieved. And in fact, if I read for you John 1.14, I think this will sound very, very familiar. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And if I read you the, the Young's literal translation, which is from like 1898 or something, I'm sure you guys have got this at home, and the word became flesh and did tabernacle among us. So you see, it actually uses that language of God tabernacling among us um, through Jesus. So he was, yeah, the ultimate tabernacle, the ultimate priest. And I think that, that's, that's really amazing. If we look at the, um, you bring up, have you guys got the pictures, the two pictures of, the, of me camping again? Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. So um, in the first picture, where I'm camping in my friend's garden, I'm camping there because there is nowhere for me to stay in the house. I can't get access into the house. Yeah, sure, I'm there to be with him, but we are separated. Um, and I think what, what God is doing here with the tabernacle and then what God is doing here with Jesus is much more like the second picture where he is um, coming to meet with them and dwell. Them. I didn't need to uh, camp in my garden. My house is right there. I'm camping there to be with Freddie to share something with him, and also um, to give him the experience of camping. I know it's a poor analogy, but it gives you a little bit of an idea, a little bit of a taste of what, what God is doing when he comes down to dwell with his people to shape their worship with that tabernacle. And that's, of course, uh, kind of where we are now, but this is ultimately taking us to an, an even better place. And if you go to the end of the Bible, uh, Revelation 21, verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So you can see the image there of God being with them. And in fact, verse 22 of the same chapter of Revelation even says, And I saw no temple in the city, um, for its temple was the Lord, the God Almighty, and the Lamb. So we are back to that Eden image we're back there forever. And that's ultimately where God is trying to take us. And there is no tabernacle and there is no temple in the new heaven and the new earth. Um, so that's, that's where we're headed. But where are, we, where are we now? Where is the tabernacle now? Well, um, actually, we are the tabernacle because Christ's uh, sacrifice, which means that God dwells in us in the spirit, um, means that uh, when we gather together, as we do now, we, we form effectively one great big tabernacle, and not because of the building. The building is just helpful because of the, the climate of the UK. Um, but yeah, we, we at the church, Christ's church, are now God's dwelling place on earth. And, and yeah, so if, if, the ta- if the law and God at the center of the tent 
was um, what shaped their response, their obedience to the law uh, in, in, from God being among them. So for us, Christ and the, and the Holy Spirit being within us is what shapes us and shapes our obedience. Um, so yeah, if, they had, uh, if, if God was there at the center of their lives, um, shaping them through the, uh, through the, the symbolism and the, the access through the grace that he had through the atonement offerings, and, uh, and also from saving them from Egypt, and in response to the contract that they had signed um, with him when they, um, when they made the covenant with him. Then so for us, Christ's covenant is what, um, through his grace, through his sacrifice, has him at the center of our lives, God at the center of our lives through the Holy Spirit. And, and that's something for us to really think about and really take home at the end of the day. And that's where the shapes game come from in terms of it shaping our lives. So I think that's the challenge for us uh, as we go out this week, is to, um, to ask ourselves, have we really got God at the center of our lives, shaping our, our everyday, not just on a Sunday at church, but everywhere, every day? So I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that you want to save us, and that you want to dwell among us, and that you want to do this for eternity. And thank you that you make this possible through the death of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you in his name. Amen. I've got a question about, um, can you explain why the curtain is purple? Yeah, it's a really great question. There's so much detail in there that it's just so difficult to go through. Um, and yeah, the, the, the purpleness of the curtain is ultimately symbolic of um, royalty. So you might, that might be familiar to you, that purple is a, is, is kind of means royal. Um, in fact, the, most of the curtains and the matching priest garments are purple, uh, scarlet, um, white, and blue. And blue is kind of represents the divinity of God. Um, red is the sacrifice element. White is, is his purity. And purple is his kingship. But the really important thing about those is that, again, they all sign post to Jesus because he is all of those things as well. He's our king. Um, he's the sacrifice, obviously, that makes it possible for us to access, access God. Um, and uh, and he's, he's pure as well and divine. So, yeah, that's a great question. Great, thank you. Um, another question about why, why, there, why do we have so many chapters about all the details of this? In the, why do we need to know all of the building materials? Why, why is that yeah, important? it's a great question. And, and uh, w- without doubt, it serves some purpose, I think, for the people at the time in terms of moving, constructing. But... Um, hopefully I teased out a little bit how as, as you walk through it you see a real pattern and I'd really encourage you to go away and read it and maybe try and resonate on some of the things that I've talked about because um, it does really build this picture and for example the lampstand um, is there's a lot of description about the lampstand looks a bit like a tree and that's because it's kind of symbolic of the tree of life um, and then there's a table with a bread offering there which is you know, going back to what Aaron was talking to us about three weeks ago because um, there's 12 loaves of bread for the 12 tribes um, and even the Ark of the Covenant with the, uh, with the testimony in there is, is kind of uh, symbolic of the tree of knowledge. So that, that Eden imagery is laced with that all the way through. Pretty much every detail is significant, even though, yet yeah, it does seem like a lot for Paul Silas to read. Cool. Thank you. Um, so when, um, when, when everyone settles in Jerusalem, does the tabernacle get transformed into the temple? Yeah, I mean, ha- yeah absolutely. And it, they are they're sort of one and the same. It happens. The tabernacle obviously is a tent and is very portable. There's a lot of description about its portability because they were moving around the wilderness eventually. But 
Um, yeah, for sure, the tabernacle is what then becomes the temple. But the, the important thing is, is that that whole imagery is all pointing towards ultimately the work that Jesus was going to do. That's great. Kind of leading on from that, um, someone asked, why wasn't the previous system working? So with the tabernacle and the sacrifice system, why, why wasn't that working as a mm. form of God living with us? So I guess why, why did Jesus mm. need to come? What yeah, was the deal with that? sure. Well, I mean, we, uh, slightly spoiler alert, but you'll see next week um, is uh, going to be the golden calf and it all goes horribly wrong quite early on. Um, and that's before the tabernacle was actually even built. But it does afterwards as well. They don't keep the tabernacle, the Israelites, at the center of their lives. They don't keep God at the center of their lives. Um, and so it doesn't work. That said, again, we really must be careful not to think that it's, it's like a plan B. Like, because the tabernacle system didn't work, God tried Jesus instead. Jesus was, was always the plan that he had. And the tabernacle just, just kind of points us towards that and uh, is revealing for us and, um, yeah, through the story of the Bible. Um, and then one more question. So if, if the church is God's dwelling with us, why is the church so often a mess? And, and why are Christians oh, failing wow. so often? Yeah, grief. That's a tough question. Mm. Um, got 40 seconds. 40 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I guess because um, ultimately we are, the church is made up of people and we are sinful and we are fallen and we are power hungry. Um, but what we know is, in the same way that you see it in the Old, in the Old Testament, that even though things keep going wrong, even though God seems to have, have chosen them to do it, he's always picking a remnant for which to grow his church. And so he has his, his hands on our hearts, and, and I hope that for everyone in this room. And so, um, yeah, the church ultimately will prevail. <laughs> that's great. Um, thank you so much, John, for, for preaching to us and for answering the questions. That's, uh, that's really helpful. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very that's much. Great.